Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Amen. Well, it's good to see y'all. How y'all doing? There we go. Good, good, good to be here. Had a fantastic time last night at our at our 6 p.m. gathering outside. It's so good to see them, uh, that that crew, join and gather for worship. Uh, I, I saw this morning, you might notice the beautiful flowers up here. These flowers are in honor of Shirley Wayner, and so uh, just thank you, Norm, for sharing those with us. Thank you for sharing Shirley's life with us, and we are, we are just thankful for you. Um, a couple things uh, before we get into our text. Our text, by the way, is is Psalm 127 and Psalm 128. So you can be turning in, in your Bibles there. Um, the first one is this. I want to just remind you that Pastor Tom and Christy and Steve Bauman are visiting uh, our missionaries in Alaska. And so be praying for them as they serve and as they work this week out in the various places that they're going. I know yesterday they were praying for clear um, skies, no mist, no haze, so that they could fly to where they needed to go. Because in Alaska, a lot of things are hap- happen by plane, and that's how they're getting to their work site. Um, so be in prayer for them as they work this week and as they serve the Lord out there. Um, That was it. So um, as we enter into our psalm for this week, I remind you we're studying the psalm of ascents, the psalm of degrees, the psalms of going up. And these, in in many ways, were were used within the spiritual life of God's people for years and years and years. And they were used in a way that as the pilgrims of, of Israel would come up to the temple, especially three times a year at three important feasts, they would sing these songs as ways to prepare their hearts before God. And even Even this morning, we have sung songs in part to declare who God is and what he has done, also so that we can prepare our hearts to hear from him. I I don't know about you, but sometimes just jumping into everything is really tough, Uh, making that transition. And one of the ways um, that, that music helps us is by preparing our hearts to give praise and honor to God. Uh, As the hymn writer says, uh, tune my lips or tune my heart to sing your grace. There's there's this sense of uh, moving towards God that music helps us rightly set in our minds and our hearts what is right and true. And so um, just even as we do that, know that the words we sing matter because they declare who God is, but they also help prepare us as people to know and to follow Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you are at Psalm 127 right now, and so let us read together these psalms. We'll pray, and then we'll jump into the text. Psalm 127 says this. It's a Solomonic song of a sense. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. In vain you get up early and stay up late, working hard to have enough food. Yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, children a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man, blessed is the man who has filled his quiver with them. Such men will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. Psalm 128, it's a song of ascents. How happy is everyone, or blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. 
You will be happy, and it will go well for you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your sons like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion, so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, and will see your children's children. Peace be with Israel. Shalom be with Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for these words of the Psalms that help us grow in a relationship with you. And God, I pray that for my heart today. I pray that for the hearts of those gathered here in person. I pray that for the heart of the person listening online, even right now, whether this is happening in real time or whether this is later in a podcast or or, or some other time. God, may our lives be drawn more closely to you as a result of our time in your word today. May we encourage one another in what it means to know and to follow you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We pray for the sake of Jesus. Amen. Um, One of the things about the Psalms that I find interesting and challenging is that the Psalms have many layers to them. Uh, Pastor Tom and I were talking about this this past week. Uh, There can be multiple layers. I I like to term them as onions. You know, like if you ever cut an onion, you cut into an onion, it has a layer, and then it has another layer, and it has another layer. Psalms are kind of like that. A psalmist can be describing an attitude or a feeling that can be applicable to his or her situation right in the moment, equally true it can have certain overtones or certain messages to it that extend beyond that moment. We've seen this with a couple of the Psalms. Pastor Bill, a couple weeks ago, explained that that the Psalm he was teaching has this kind of forward-looking time into which the Messiah would come back again. And we find that in the Psalms of Ascent several times. We we find that in last week's Psalm. We find that in this week's Psalm as well. Um, But there's multiple layers. On, On the one hand, um, they, they describe these important spiritual principles that can and should affect how we live life today. And, uh, but, but on the other hand, sometimes we're going, what is he talking about in the midst of some of the poetic imagery? And so what we're going to do is we're tackling two psalms today in an effort, uh, well, for two reasons we're tackling two psalms. The first one is because they're kind of joined together in, in some of the themes that go throughout. The second is we don't have 15 weeks in a summer to get through all of them one by one. So these two went together uh, because it worked out well that way. Uh, So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at three major themes within the Psalms of Ascent in Psalms 127 and 128. And the first theme I want to look at is this idea of blessing. We we find in these two Psalms the word bless happens over and over. And so I want to talk about what does it mean to be blessed by the Lord and, and how does that look for our life today? At the core of these psalms is this word, blessing or happy. Uh, You could also translate it how fortunate. It's actually the word that Jesus uses in the the Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are uh, those who are persecuted because of righteousness. It's this idea of how fortunate, how happy, how blessed is someone who has experienced this, that, or the other thing. And this word in, in Hebrew occurs several times within the psalms. For example, 
In Psalm 33, it says, Happy or blessed is the nation whose God is Yahweh, the people he has chosen to be his own possession. So in Psalm 33, it's making the case that that people who have God, Yahweh, as their God, um, are, are people who experience happiness, who experience fortune, how fortunate they are, how blessed they are, because they are his own possession. Psalm 94, 12 says, Lord, blessed is the man you discipline and you teach from your law, all right? When we think of the word discipline, we don't always think, how fortunate am I to receive discipline? But the scripture says that the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. The the scripture reminds us here that, that it's actually a blessing to experience godly discipline in our life because it brings correction and it brings rebuke sometimes and it brings encouragement for, no, this is not how you should walk. This is how you should walk. Um, perhaps one of the most well-known blessing uh, psalms is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat with scoffers, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law he meditates day and night. goes to talk about he's like a tree planted by the streams of living water and, and, and so on. But, but notice what it says there. Happy is the man, and there's a negative that's used in Psalm 1. Happy or blessed is the man or woman, who does not follow the advice of the wicked, or who does not take the path of sinners, or who does not join a group of mockers, or sit in the seat of mockers. These negative commands, there's a progression that goes on here. You know, you receive blessing from God when you don't follow the advice of evildoers, when you don't stand in the way or follow the customs and the manners of people who live in a sinful pattern of life. The, the phrase to sit in the seat of scoffers is a phrase that's used mostly in the Proverbs, and it describes a person who goes his own way, who does not listen to the wisdom of others, and who resists helpful correction. These people, uh, Proverbs says, are arrogant, haughty, and act with pride. They, they want to do what they want to do. And the psalmist is saying, when it comes to blessing, the way we experience blessing, the way God's people experience blessing is to walk in the path of God. Now, that doesn't always mean that life is easy. In fact, many times it means life is not easy because we live amongst people, us being many of them, um, who, who often want to go our own way. And God says, you want to experience blessing, walk in my ways. Learn what it means to live by my teaching, because there you have life. That's, that's one of the things he says in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29, 30. He's making the case that choose life. Choose the way that I'm giving you to walk in. Choose the path that I have set before you, because there you will actually find the greatest joy and the greatest um, happiness that you could ever imagine. Blessing is found in delighting in the word of God and meditating upon it. And the idea of meditation in scripture is not some sort of new age mystic kind of thing. It's, it's to have the words of God on our lips so that we know them and so that we live them with his help. We can't follow unless we know. 
to, to, to meditate upon the words of God is to seek to obey the words of God. And Joshua 1a is a great example of that. The, the big idea with blessing here is true blessing comes when we trust God and we obey his teaching regardless of our circumstances. And that is what is underscored in these two Psalms. Psalm 128, for example, how happy or blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Who walks in his ways. Now, so there's, there's the one idea of blessing. The second idea I want to talk about is, is where this blessing is often lived out. And that's in this word home, home. Um, several times in these two Psalms, you see these words that have to do with houses or homes. Uh, for example, um, you have, unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor over it in vain. But in a little bit, a couple verses down, you have sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, children a reward. How happy is the man whose quiver is full of them? Uh, and then you go to Psalm 128, and it's talking about how a man's wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. What, what does it mean for the scripture to talk about a house? There's, there's three ways that scholars understand this, and they kind of debate over which one is in view here. Uh, the first one is, he could be talking about the house of the Lord, all right? The house of the Lord, which is the temple that Solomon built. Um, the second one, it, it can refer to the people of Israel. M many times, Israel is referred to as the people or the house of Israel, kind of as a collective whole. Um, the third way that scholars understand this idea of house is to talk about the home, the, the, the home, where, where their people live. The, 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 not the walls, but the people who dwell together in a common place in order to seek uh, life and living and, and living out of God's word. So let's take these and kind of break them apart. Because I think this is where the idea of onions and having layers uh, kind of helps us here. Uh, because in some ways, I think he's referring to multidimensional thinking when it talks about a house. All right, so we have in Psalm 127, I've noted it's a Solomonic psalm. And one of Solomon's greatest works was the building of the temple of the Lord. Um, psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over a city... All right, so here we have the idea of city coming in. The watchman stays alert in vain. Now, God specifically gave Solomon, who was David's son, the responsibility to build him a house because David was, what the scripture says, is a man of war. He, he was a fighter, and, and God had given him um, certain tasks to do, but he says, David, I don't want you to build the house. I want your son to build the house. So David actually does a lot to prepare for the building of the temple, but Solomon is the one who puts it all together, and, and he's, he's the one who has incredible building projects even beyond the temple, uh, his, his own own house in different areas of the city and such. Um, but a watchman's job, we, we get this idea of city going on, and then it says the watchman stays alert in vain. A watchman's job is to stay alert, to, to pay attention to what's going on, to ensure that the temple was cared for and secure. And the temple was an incredibly important place within the life and the pattern of Israel. Not only would they come up three times a year, 
But there, there were daily sacrifices, and people would come up and they would pray, and people would come up and they would consecrate their children to the Lord. And, and it's so important for sacrificing and studying scripture, praying and worshiping, gathering before God, that God actually sets apart a special tribe, the tribe of Levi, to ensure that it was cared for and to ensure that it was maintained. All right, so, so one whole tribe's job was to make sure everything is humming along smoothly at the temple in, in the worship of God. Yet, um, there's only so much that people could do. I mean, they, they, they could do what God had called them to do. They, they, they could faithfully follow the commands of the Lord. But one of the things that, that, that is said here is unless the Lord builds a house— it's builders labor in vain. Whether it's the physical structure or whether it's the spiritual aspect of, of meeting God there, unless God is at the center of everything Israel was to be about, it would be absolutely fruitless. It, it, it would be like going to a, a destination, hoping to see someone there, and they're actually not there. You might enjoy the destination, but you don't get to spend the time with the person who you're going to go see. Unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. And the history of Israel is very replete with times in which there was great blessing and there was great um, peace in the land and, and where, where God's, um, the worship of God was well established. There's other times in which, uh, for example, we talked about the exile a little bit last week, where, where God's people were taken off into captivity because they chose not to follow the ways of God and God, out of his great love for them, out of his desire to walk with them, he uses, he uses, is the, the um, practice or the, um, the experience of exile to send them away so that he could discipline them and so that they could awaken to their senses of how far they were away from God. It's not just about a house. It's about what God wants to do in a house. So there's one aspect. The second aspect is the people of Israel. Now, God made many covenants with his people. You have the Abraham, you have the Noahic, Noahic covenant, you have the Abrahamic covenant, you have it reaffirmed to Isaac and to Jacob, who are Abraham's um, descendants, his sons, and you come to the Davidic covenant. What, one of the things that happens with the Davidic covenant is that a, a permanent covenant is established with the house of David, and a Messiah is promised to come from David's line. And uh, so one of the themes that happens in the Psalms of Ascent is this promise that God will be faithful to his covenant with David, that the Messiah will come at God's perfect timing, but the Messiah will come, the, Mas the Messiah will rule and reign. And while the Messiah had not yet come when this was written, they were called to trust God for the timing and provision that he would bring. So David's line physically continues, but the Messiah coming up from David's line is going to be at a time and a place in which the Lord would have to bring about because unless the Lord builds a house, it's builders labor in vain. There's that component. Um, the third component I wanna talk about for a few extra minutes here is the idea of the home. And I think this is one that's incredibly applicable to us today. The home is a a very central place within the life of the Jewish people. In fact, the first command in the Hebrew Bible, there's 613 commandments in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, the first commandment that Israel was called to honor and to live out uh, was to be fruitful and to multiply. 
in Genesis chapter one, this is given within the context of God creating male and female in his image, and he's creating this marriage relationship where the two become one, and then God says, I want you to be fruitful, and I want you to multiply. This aspect of raising a family is near and dear to God's heart. Now, that does not mean that every single person did that. Not every single person could, for a whole bunch of various reasons. We, we, we see examples in the scripture. I mean, Paul, for example, or we see Jesus is a great example of, of people who did not marry and who did not have kids. And yet there's this pattern that, that to continue to have kids and to raise up children and to build a house is something that has to be done with the cooperation of God. It's a spiritual activity. It, it, is, it is a way in which they were to be faithful and to um, to contribute to the growth of the people of Israel. Um, children played an incredibly important role, especially within an agrarian culture. Um, not only would they be extra workers to help out in uh, shepherding and, and uh, getting uh, food ready and all this kind of stuff, they would also, as they would age, they would help care for their aging parents. Uh, if a dispute rose within the city, they could also be ones, especially sons, who would gather at the city gates. We find this in Psalm 127.5, um, who could support their father at the city gates, and which is why the psalmist is extolling. Um, Such men will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. They speak with their enemies, and they've got sons to back them up. They've got sons to be with them and, and, and to vouch for them. But this idea of the home is a strong one. In, um, it's more than procreation, it's more than child rearing, it's actually about helping raise people who love and follow the Lord. Uh, the, the Hebrew word for sanctuary, and the sanctuary was in the temple, but the Hebrew word for sanctuary is the word mikdash, and it comes from a Hebrew word which means to be set apart or to be holy. Uh, so, so sanctuary is a place that, that is set apart. It's set apart for a specific place, and, and, and it's a place in which holiness was to occur. And after the temple was destroyed, one of the interesting things is that the Jewish people were scattered, sent into exile, but the rabbis, the teachers of Israel, they, they began to refer to the home as a sanctuary, a small sanctuary. So you have this picture of people would gather for worship in Jerusalem at the sanctuary, and yet... The rabbis say, hey, the sanctuary is not there. The, the home is the place where we gather for worship. And, and it's completely consistent with the, the teaching of Scripture. The home was and is to be a place of worship, a place set apart for the learning of who God is, what he has done, and ascribing to him glory and honor. It, it's a place where, where the Scripture is to be learned and studied and lived out. And they actually liken the altar, which is the central place of worship in the temple, they, they liken the altar to the table within the home. The, the, the table, gathering around, eating together, having fellowship in the most biblical sense of that word was something that would sustain a family both physically and spiritually. It wasn't just about eating bread off the table. It was about exchanging God's word and instilling that, that teaching within the lives of those around. It's kind of like what Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone. You still need bread, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, so teaching and gathering around the home, especially around the table, was something that was supposed to be done in conjunction with these just living out life. These were opportunities to, have, to engage in a house of prayer, in a house of study, and a house of assembly. 
Now, what's interesting about the Jewish home is that while it is central for these things, for prayer, for study, and for assembly, it wasn't closed off completely from everyone else. It wasn't a castle set upon a hill that no one could come into. In fact, they would invite people in. When we were in uh, Jordan many, many years ago, we had the chance to go visit Bedouin. Uh, in Bedouin are people who, who are nomads. They, they go from this place to this place. They, they, they live in tents. And one of the things that they, that they did is they invited us into their tent. One of the things we learned there is that when you're invited into someone's tent, they're taking a responsibility for you. You know, if they were to be attacked, they would protect you first before they would protect themselves. To, to be invited into somewhere is an incredible honor, but this would happen. You would, you, would, you would serve the needs of the community from your home. And these were ways to practice and to instill biblical values within the next generation. And one of the things, I I love what Dr. Dwight Pryor says, he's talking about Jewish culture and the importance of the family, and he says this, he says, as goes the family, so goes the nation of Israel in their pursuit of God. Do you hear that? As goes the family, as goes the small sanctuary, so goes the nation in their pursuit of God. In other words, Families and fathers and mothers who steward their families and who shepherd them and who teach them to revere the Lord and to worship him, they're they're called to instill within them and ultimately that would then instill within the nation this devotion and worship to honor God. The home is the central place of laboring to the Lord and experiencing the building that God accomplishes on behalf of the nation. And that's really strong because as we look at the world around us, Let me say this, moms and dads, you have an incredible opportunity. Grandmas and grandpas, you have an incredible opportunity. Aunts and uncles, you have an incredible opportunity to instill the word of God into the lives that you affect. Maybe they're not your biological kids. Maybe they're kids by adoption. Maybe they're kids because you've just grown up next door to them and and you care about them and you want to see them flourish and grow. God has given you within the confines of your home and how you walk out each day the opportunity to raise a generation and to affect a generation with the good news of Jesus. In Jewish thought, and I I say this about Judaism so much because this is a Jewish book. I mean, the Psalms are written by Jewish people. So there's a long history of why we study this. We want to understand why they're looking at this through the lens they are looking at it. But in Jewish idea and thought, they thought of the family as community. Family implies togetherness, not fragmentation or isolation, one scholar says. It extends beyond the immediate family. It includes parents, um, grandparents, uncles, brothers, sisters, aunts, and the rest of the faith community. And and it's no wonder why the New Testament repeatedly calls the church uh, to to, to be and to live as a body, not to live as isolated silos within a community, but rather we we get the picture, for example, in Acts chapter 2, but we get it in numerous places in the New Testament where the church is called to live together in community, to care spiritually and physically about each other, to help one another follow the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their strength. This happens from the home. 
I mentioned a few minutes ago, it's, it's thoroughly biblical what is going on here because listen to these words. You know some of them. Deuteronomy 6 says this. It says, hear, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a symbol on your hand. Let them be as a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and of your gates. If you're going to write something on your house and on your gates and you're going to make it a part of your very life, it's going to affect not only those who sit around your table, but those whom walk up to your house, those whom you experience and you engage with as you leave your home. This idea of family is idea of togetherness, and it's gathered around learning what it means to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. My parents were just, were and are just fantastic people. I, I love them dearly. Um, one of the things, I think, in their wisdom, I don't know if this was intentional or if this was just, you know, the Lord leading them or, I, I don't know. But um, one of the things that I experienced because of their leadership in my life was th- I reached a point in my upbringing where my, um, my interests became more musical. And my mom is a piano player, but my dad plays a great uh, CD player or, or a great, uh, uh, I guess it would be an MP3 player these days, or Spotify is a little bit beyond him. I'm not sure if, if, if he would go that far. Um, but, but they connected me with someone at church. Uh, his name is Alan, and Alan had an incredible impact in my life because he was a musician. He was an artist. He was a worship leader. Not only that, he was a shepherd. He, he was someone who came along beside me as a, as a um, freshman in high school, and I was an awful guitar player, especially then. You know, I, it, was, it was bad. And he would be like, let me show you how to play that chord again. And he would patiently involve me in what it means to live out life and to follow Jesus. And I needed him. I, I needed him. God placed him in my life to affect my life for the gospel. In fact, it was at a conference with, uh, with him and with my parents were there for, for, an, for some other reasons. It was, it was at a conference there that God began to work in my mind and my heart. Because one day, <clears throat> okay, friends, uh, if you ever tell God, I will never do this, just smile, okay? Because God has a sense of humor. This is half of the story of my life. God, I will never be a pastor. I remember saying one day. And <laughs> it's kind of funny. Uh, here, I, here I stand. Uh, here I stand. There's a way that God works that goes beyond my mind and my ability to comprehend. But God brings people into our life, people within the faith community to help encourage us and to help us learn what it means to follow Jesus and to learn what that means for my life today, for your life today. The idea of family, the idea of house is both the the nuclear family, but it extends out from there because we should care about each other. We, we, We should. We should care about how our brother or our sister is struggling. We, we, we should care and, and seek as God leads us to involve ourselves in their life by prayer, by encouragement, by rejoicing. Um, one of the things I got to experience this past week is uh, we, we were at an elder meeting on Tuesday night, and, and those are always great times, but the really great time happened after that. Uh, at at 9.43 p.m., I looked at my phone to double-check the time, I received a text message. Now, 9.43 is a little bit late to send a text message. I, I don't mind, but most people don't send them that late. Um, but the message was absolutely exciting. 
because my friend Declan, who is down here, made a video and his parents sent it to me and it was a video that said he wanted to follow and he made the, the, the decision to follow Jesus. Yeah, yeah. How absolutely fantastic is that? And it's in part because he's had parents who've said, we're going to honor, we're going to instill the word of God into his life. And he's got grandparents and aunts and uncles and a church family that comes around and they say, we want to instill the word of God into his life because the house matters. Now, the work that God has done in Declan and will continue to do in Declan is a work that we participate in, but it's ultimately a work of God. As the scripture says, salvation is from the Lord. And so we bless God. We bless God because unless the Lord builds a house, its builders labor in vain. See, there's a lot of things that God calls us to in our lives. And a lot of it is about, God, how do you want me to be faithful? How do you want me to be obedient here? But the other component to this is, God, how do you want me to trust you? How do you want me to trust you? Because we have sometimes... um, sons and daughters, we might have cousins and nephews, nieces, aunts, we might have friends within our neighborhood, we might have spouses or parents who struggle and who are struggling. And there's a work that God has to do. We, 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 can't, we can't coerce, we can't Shame. We can't pressure someone into honestly responding to the work of God in their life. What we can do, though, friends, is we can pray. We can pray. Paul says in Romans, he says, it is my desire, it is my prayer that my brothers and sisters, the Jewish people, might be saved. I think it's a great model prayer because Paul so desperately and earnestly wants to see his brothers and sisters come to know the Messiah Jesus that, that it becomes this all-consuming cons- passion. So wherever he goes, he preaches first to the Jews and then he preaches to the Gentiles. He wants everyone he comes in contact with to experience life and to live that life in faithful obedience to the one who has saved and redeemed them. We do this in community. One of the things um, that I absolutely love this past week, uh, there's many things I love this past week, but um, we, we gathered as a community group, the community group that my family and I belong to, and, and on Thursday night, we, we were able to share some of the places we've been in. It had been six weeks since I'd seen some of them, and, and to hear the stories about how God has been faithful to them and how God has brought them through this trial or this struggle and how God has been so good and, and some of this goodness doesn't, doesn't, you don't see six months ago or a year ago, but you begin to look back and you say, God is good, God is faithful, God is working even when we don't recognize. And that's the power of the house. The, the, the power of God's people gathering around who he is, what he wants, and saying, God, we're going to, we're going to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, we're going to trust you because there's so many ways, God, in which we struggle to live out of your teaching. God, we need you to help us do this. So there's a little more, uh, less brief conversation about the home, but I want us to see that the home matters. The home matters. 
When you go home today, how you engage with your family matters. Kids, it matters how you listen and you obey your parents. Parents, it matters how you instill God's word into their lives. Pursue it, pursue it, pursue it. Humbly seek to walk with the Lord. Humbly seek to lead your families well by his grace. Um, The last thing I want to talk about, just briefly, from Psalm 127 and 128, highlights the blessing that comes from the hand of God and the call to revere, to fear the Lord. And, And this idea of walking in the blessing of God is a strong one in Scripture. Sometimes in our, in our lives, in relationships, we, we have struggle, right? Can anybody witness that? We have these struggles that occur in our life. Maybe it's in our marriage. Maybe it's in an extended family situation. And, and one of the questions is, 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 what do we do in the midst of that? And the psalmist re- responds with this here. He says, how happy is everyone who fears the Lord? And the idea of fear here is not necessarily to be afraid. It's, it's to revere. It's to worship. It's to know who God is and to relate with him because of the covenant he has made with you. You know, for us, he has given us new life in the new covenant of Jesus' blood. He sent his son that we might have life. And so how do we relate to him? How how do we engage with him in a relationship? And we do that by faith, and we do that by faithfulness. But Psalm 128.1 fears the Lord who walks in his ways. Whenever we experience challenge or struggle in our life, one of the things I like to remember uh, and, and I use this if you sat in my office for pre-marriage counseling or maybe if you've sat with me just at a table at a restaurant, you've probably seen me draw this diagram just in living life and discipleship. And it's something that Dan Seaborn from Winning at Home shared several years ago. Uh, if you have a piece of paper and you want to draw a triangle, you can draw a triangle at this point. All right, draw a triangle. So you've got the top and you've got two bottoms. All right, in the, in the top part of the triangle, that apex, just write God up there. And in the bottom part, you know, we'll relate this to marriage, but it can be related to so many different ways. You, you can write uh, husband and wife, or you can write, um, like, if, if, if struggle that you're experiencing is with a friend or with a family member, you can write brother, sister, or aunt and nephew, or whatever. Um, but this idea of God and then two people, maybe it's more than two, but Dan C. Borden shared this. Whenever we experience struggle in our life, unity comes by first seeking God. Unity always comes by first seeking God. And so if you have person A, person B down here, and each one of them wants to go their own way, what inevitably happens eventually is that people just start kind of growing further and further apart. Now, it may look different. You know, they may go down this way, they might go this way, they might go this way, they might go this way, they might kind of meet somewhere down here. But oftentimes, we experience fracture in our lives because we're, we're pursuing those things that our hearts and our minds want to pursue. But when we pursue God, when, when person A and person B says, I want to know God, I want to follow God, I want to, to obey God, I, I want to have God's Spirit teach me what it means to love Him with all my heart, my soul, my strength, to love my neighbor as myself. Both people, when they do that, they begin to go inevitably to the same apex. It's true for marriage, it's true for family, it's true for conflicts in all sorts of places. And it's consistent with God's teaching. How happy is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You will surely eat what your hands have worked for. You will be happy and it will go well for you. Verse 5. 
Verse four. In this very way, well, verse three, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your sons like young olive trees around your table. In this very way, the man who fears the Lord will be blessed. May the Lord bless you from Zion so that you will see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, life and you will see your children's children. When we experience fracture in our lives, the surefire way for us to do what God has called us to do is to pursue him. That's my point. My, my, my point is we can pursue a lot of things. And it may be that one person's pursuing God and the other one's not. What do you do? You pray. <laughs> you pray. When a family, when a congregation, when a people say, this is our God, we want to worship, we want to be obedient to what he's called us to, it doesn't mean all things are solved, but it certainly solves a lot of things because our hearts become changed because God is saying, walk in this way, and we obediently say, yes, I will. Um, When it comes to um, fearing the Lord, it's vitally important. Again, fear is not like I'm afraid. It's I revere, I worship. It's vitally important that we are all consumed as individuals with what does God want me to do now? So, if we find ourselves in ways in which we're not experiencing a whole lot of blessing in our life, one of the ways that we can pursue is to ask God to reveal to us, God, where am I pursuing something that is not what you would desire from me? God, where do I need to offer forgiveness? God, where do I need to go to a brother, to a sister, to a spouse, and and confess and say, God, I have have screwed up before you, and friend, I I have sinned against you. Caring for our own spiritual lives is one of the most, if not the most important thing we can do in learning what it means to have a house that is built to the honor and the glory of God. So we walk with God, we pray for ourselves, we pray for another, and, and we pursue to love God no matter what anyone else does. Let me just ask you this as we close. How would you describe your house today? How would you describe your house? How would you describe the relationships that God has surrounded you with? Your spouse, your friends, your kids, your parents, people in the neighborhood. How would you describe your house? All right. Secondly, how would you describe your life before God? Where does God want you to make changes in your life in obedience, loving obedience to his word so that your life might know him more? Let's take a moment right now and just pray. I invite you to close your head, or close your head, close your eyes and bow your head. Oh, Lord. Lord, we confess that there are so many things in our life where we pursue our own desires and not yours. God, forgive us for that. Teach us what it means to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. God, 
Teach us what it means for our lives today to live with a humility that we love our neighbor as we love ourselves, that we lift up those around us, that that we invite and we instill the word of God and the story of God, the story of what you are doing in our lives into the lives of those around us. God, thank you for the gift of community, community through the home, community through the broader body of Christ. We recognize this morning, God, that we are joined with a great people, a holy people, made holy because, God, you have done a work in us. We are not holy in and of our own strength. We are holy because you have called us holy because we have experienced the redemption and the forgiveness of sin through your son. And God, I pray for anyone here today who does not have a relationship with you, anyone listening online who does not have a relationship with you, God, that they would come to you by faith and they would learn what it means to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their might and then to love their neighbor as themselves. God, as we enter into a new week, it's a week of opportunity. It's a week in which we have to live for you. God, give us boldness and give us conviction. Give us compassion. Give us unconditional love. A love that only you, God, can give. So that as we seek to love others, they might experience the goodness and the grace of Jesus. We love because you first loved us. May we never forget that. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, Pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that he would make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you that you would experience the peace of God in your life this week and the joy of what it means to follow him and to walk with him. God bless you as you serve him this week. You are dismissed.